Welcome to Cognophonia. I'm Meredith. And I'm Gabe. And today we're talking about Star Trek themes. All of them, probably. But not all at once. No, that would be confusing. There is a video out there that I rewatched today that someone put together all the Star Trek themes at the same time. No. <laughs> at the same time? <laughs> at the same time. Like all playing at once? <laughs> yes. And while it sounded horrible, it was also kind of revelatory in a way because the first thing that I noticed was that the Enterprise theme was mm. extremely contrasted to everything. And it was like you couldn't hear anything else until it stopped. And the other thing I noticed was that the Voyager theme was much longer than all yeah. of the other ones because it kept going after they were all done. The Voyager one is also in, like, another key. Yes. So. A radically different key. Things got a, a little bit more, you know, easy to follow once everything left because that underlying tension of the bi-tonality was like it just sounded like chaos yeah well and once enterprise stopped with its words and rhythms mm -hmm. it's rocks and rolls <laughs> yeah another thing i noticed was that it was very easy to tell when the original series and the next generation themes ended because they got like really big right at the end mm. Of course, it didn't dis include Discovery or anything after that. It was only the first the first five. Was I this guess. before Discovery existed? Yeah. Uh -huh. Although maybe they've made one now where they put them all in. Oh, well. <laughs> that would be terrible. Even more <laughs> terrible. I don't know if it's terrible, it's, but it is <laughs> not everyday listening necessarily. Yeah. Unless you like listening to seven different pieces of music at the same time. Data. Data like, hey, data like that. That's true. Yeah. I wonder if he would have been able to make sense of all of that. I think he would have. Hmm. I forgot the number of things he said he could listen to, but it was large. I mean, Charles Ives did that. Charles Ives did do that. Charles Ives did do that. He did a lot of things. All right. Hmm? Should we start with the original series? Sure. Since that's what started it all. It is the original. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that from which came all others. Yes. Mm. So you think the original series is like, it's goal oriented? It's getting towards the end? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it ends very climactically. The main melody part of the original series theme is very long-winded it has a very long breathed melody that each phrase it kind of jumps up higher and higher so the highest note of the entire melody is right at the end where you have this kind of cadence and so it gets like pretty loud and pretty final sounding <laughs> Well, it definitely does. I mean, yeah, that's the truth about the melodic construction, that it climbs and climbs and climbs. Mm -hmm. I know it's funny because I, it's a theme song, right? So to think about it going to the end makes it like, oh, well, we're trying to get to this 
big finish right but then you have the whole episode that has to now happen so it's like you've accomplished something you've built and built and built towards this end Mm -hmm. and now like okay great now sit tight for another 50 minutes while something else happens (laughs) i don't know i think that's effective though because it gets you excited it gets you like yeah i'm pumped up now because of this music it also is very memorable so it's not like it gives you something catchy at the beginning and then loses you you know it's it keeps the energy toward the end so that i think it makes it stick in your mind a little bit more yeah which i was reading an article a little while ago about this by neil lerner it's called hearing the boldly goings or something it's about just the first few star trek themes but he starts out the chapter by talking about the different purposes of a theme song and I don't remember what they all are, but two of them are it sets the tone for the TV show. And the other thing is that it has to have this memorable quality so that, you know, people keep thinking about it, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, and it certainly serves that function mm-hmm. of being memorable on the basis of, I would say, both the melodic construction, which is expert. I mean, that mm-hmm. is like good melody writing mm-hmm. you know yes you've got the same little phraselet do and then another bigger one right like so it does all the things that a good melody should do mm-hmm. but it also sounds cool mm-hmm. you know i mean people have been obsessed over the sound of the sound of that theme song since the beginning mm-hmm. this thing that's like not quite a human voice and not quite a theremin and not quite a musical saw and not quite a synthesizer and in reality it's some weird combination of things mm-hmm. so it does an awful lot to make itself memorable and attractive mm-hmm. and it does set a vibe i mean you know there is an interesting thing about the vibe though i often find myself thinking about how the vibe of the original series theme song is so marked by this like Afro-Cuban percussion Mm -hmm. and you know it's this very hip sounding thing and yeah and chromatic and mysterious it's got all that stuff in it but then you get into the actual show Mm -hmm. and the show is so serious it is a serious show you know I mean they'll make a joke about Spock and that's only at the end of the episode right you get the joke you know and I mean and that's not to say that there aren't there's not comic relief throughout but you know in general the episodes are quite serious Hmm. that's a good point although i'm not sure everyone would agree with you in fact my mom often talks about when she would watch it growing up and her mom thought it was just like the greatest thing ever but she thought it was really, really funny. Funny? Yeah. Funny? She said she would be laughing the whole time. At because Star of, Trek? Because of how ridiculous it was. Ridiculous? <laughs> I mean, okay, it can get a little a little campy at times, I think. But but I don't think that's what they were going for. And that probably doesn't have that effect on most people. But I think you're, you're right about it, that there is a little bit of a disconnect. And... I mean, that brings up the question of why didn't they just try and imagine what actual alien music would sound like and use that? And I I think uh, this is due to Gene Roddenberry. Like, I was reading some stuff that Alexander Courage, the composer, was saying about, you know, how he composed the theme. And he said that Roddenberry specifically did not want space-sounding music. Like, he did not want, like, bleeps and bloops or, like... Forbidden Planet. yeah, Yeah, he didn't want the Forbidden Planet. He didn't want... 
it came from outer space or like yeah. any kind of scary or creepy or weird. He wanted it to be appealing sounding. And I think he also wanted it to sound sexy, mm. which oh, totally. yeah. it does. And I mean, <laughs> this is the funniest thing I read, but Alexander Courage described Roddenberry as, quote, a sex pot. <laughs> 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 and I mean, for one thing, I think this is why they chose, at least in one of the versions, to have that that wordless female vocal as the main melody, because it's kind of, you know, sexy sounding. Well, yeah, and it's not just any melody. It's a wordless female vocal mm-hmm. that is based on a, a large lead and then a chromatic descent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the chromatic descent is something we have associated with sexy ladies since Carmen. Absolutely. And... In that chromatic descent, there's also a triplet. Mm. This is the this is one of the things I wanted to talk about. Is why is that triplet sexy? Why are triplets <laughs> why are triplets sexy? I mean, partly you have the chromaticism, but partly you ha- also have this rhythmic interest. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine it now without a triplet. So that would be like bum 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 bum. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, triplets are, you know, they're transgressive. Mm. I mean, if we want to get all theoretical here, right, that's not too bold a claim, right? Because if you've got a B going one, two, three, four, and you've got a thing going ba da 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 bum. Yeah, so you're trying to fit three notes into where two notes typically fit. Yeah, you're like, you're breaking their rules. Uh-huh. But it's also breaking the rules in a way that it's not like you you, you hear it and you're like, ooh, rule breaking yeah you know it's like nonchalant rule breaking there's nothing unique to star trek about triplets right and there's nothing unique to in a way there's nothing special about their use in the melody it's but it's true that you know if we think about the rhythmic life of that melody and the overall kind of impression we get from it it is a very suave you know, like it's the right thing to do, even though it's the wrong thing to yeah. do. I mean, that's I'm still kind of stuck on that. Like, it's really hard for me to imagine that line not using that kind of rhythmic language. Yeah. And it's all over. Right. You know, so there's triplets all throughout the thing, but they're all like, it's just the right answer. Yeah. You know? I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say because we've also heard it so many times. So it's like we know that it is right. But I don't know. I feel, you know, I've having written a melody or two in my day, I feel like, you know, sometimes that's 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 the way it's supposed to go. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that tell us about the show? And is it accurate? <laughs> is, I, the, <laughs> is the show <laughs> is the show sexy and transgressive? I mean, yeah. Is the, <laughs> does the show get the right answers? I mean, uh, I can't think of any good examples. Maybe you can, but time and time again, Captain Kirk and the rest of the crew are—you know—they have these certain guidelines. They have the Prime Directive. You know, they have the values of the Federation that they have to uphold. But it always happens that they encounter situations that don't mesh with the like, guidelines and so they have to determine do these guidelines actually apply here or do we need to kind of push the boundaries a little bit or try and come up with some other way of addressing whatever is happening here so they actually 
are transgressive even of the Federation, but in ways that are ultimately portrayed as like morally the correct decision. Right. And that's part of the attractiveness of everyone in that crew, right? Mm -hmm. They're all so expert in their jobs that they know that they're going to be up against an ethical quandary here or a overly restrictive regulation there. And they're all able to reason their way through it in some way. And then you're like, oh, look at these smart, beautiful people (laughs) working the system for their greater good. So they're not like pirates, right? Like they work within the system. Mm -hmm. They represent the system. But, you know, they're virtuosic in their ability to find the fuzzy edges. And they look good doing it. (laughs) They sure do. (laughs) (laughs) Although I will say, you know, Captain Kirk is definitely a an attractive man and before i saw the original series i had always heard like this stereotype that oh captain kirk every time he goes out on an adventure he like meets a sexy lady and they hook up and whatever but when i actually watched the show i realized that doesn't happen nearly as much as i expected especially in the first season like it doesn't happen at all yeah it only happens a couple times like later on but yeah i don't i don't remember when the first episode is that he tears his shirt <laughs> for for no reason but that might have emerged as a trope but even if that's how we sort of imagine him the reality it's true is very professional and i think that's something that's kind of carried through most of the other shows right is mm-hmm. like this idea of professionalism and this idea of expertise and skill and you know like one of the classic debates about like who's the better captain is it you know (laughs) kirk or picard it always one of the main arguments that comes up in favor of captain kirk is always like oh he breaks all the rules and blah 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 it's like um okay i mean last i checked captain picard broke a few rules certainly himself and you know and it sort of overlooks the fact that it's never the case that it's just flaunting Right. It's not just a flagrant violation. It's it's to serve something really important and, you know, and to do it craftily and with the consent of the crew. Mm-hmm. Right. They're always really clear about that. I mean, maybe this comes up more like in the movies and stuff, but, you know, whenever they're about to do something that's like actually really bad, where they're like, wow, we could all go to jail for this. You know, they, they make sure to not do that unless everyone's with them. And of course, everyone is with them. And of course, then that's why they're always able to succeed and not go to jail. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And Starfleet recognizes that. Yes. Good job, Starfleet. Yeah. Good job. Which I think is also the case in basically all the other shows, too. Yeah. Like, they're always doing something that's questionable, but Starfleet's always like, ah. I mean, they get grumpy about it. They get grumpy, but they don't ever actually fire anyone. No, (laughs) except for Discovery. Oh, yes, of course. But that's another story. Yeah, we'll get there when we get there. Yeah. There's another aspect of the original series scene that we haven't talked about. Yeah. The beginning. The beginning. The beginning. The very beginning. The very beginning. The most iconic Star Trek music of all time. Which is a fact because it's in all of the other Star Trek themes. Almost all of it. <laughs> well, yeah, true, true. Oh, poor Enterprise. Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's a thing. Yeah. 
opening part referred to as the space theme. I don't know if this is like an official term, but I, I've heard this. So this is where you have this drone and then you have these falling fourths that kind of create a sense of suspense. And then after that, you have what I call the space fanfare. And you're talking about in both original series and next generation yes. and others yeah yes yeah no the space fanfare is a kind of musical trope that appears in a lot of different pieces of music not restricted to star trek but i think the star trek one is the most well known of them all um so yeah first we have these descending fourths bing, 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 bing. yep yeah. and then we have the brass entering with this upward leaping motion boom ba -boom. Da, 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 da. Da, da. Yeah, so it cre creates these kind of like interlocking ninth chords mm. that they kind of build and build until you would hope something would happen. And uh, in this case, it does because you build up this excitement, you build up this tension, and then it falls into that exciting melody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it's funny because it's a... So it's a fanfare in the technical sense of involving brass introducing a thing, mm -hmm. right? And setting up anticipation. There's something interesting to me about this, though. Mm -hmm. It's like, as far as fanfares go, kind of on the mellow side, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, like those fourths, for example, right? Like, and especially when they get sustained in the background. Those are very mellow sounds. They're, they incorporate consonant intervals mm -hmm. and like the softest of possible dissonances, you yep. know, mm -hmm. and it's done softly. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and especially which makes sense, of course, because it's also an underscore for space, space the, final the final frontier. frontier. <laughs> right. So it's like it makes sense that it would be soft, but it's, it's a remarkable thing to think about the idea that you can describe soft mostly consonant music as a fanfare right that that can somehow create a sense of anticipation right mm -hmm. that feels interesting to me especially the use of the word right the use of the word fanfare as a description i i, I think it's correct but it's like i don't know you say fanfare and i'm like oh boop, ba, 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 right yeah. it feels heroic <laughs> and and this is sort of like if it's heroic it's a muted heroism mm. That's a really good point. I hadn't really thought about that, but I think it's because it's a thoughtful kind of fanfare. Because in other pieces of music that I've seen, the, the space fanfare appear, there are always some kind of philosophical idea to them about... It's not just like, oh, excitement for the sake of excitement, or listen up right now. It's more like, we're going to take this opportunity to think about the future, and to think about what it actually means for human beings to go up into space. The other quintessential example, of course, is the beginning of also Sprach's Zarathustra by Strauss, which is, again, famously used in the opening of 2001 A Space Odyssey that came out around the same time, 68? Or 69? 60. Oh, no, I think you're right. I think it's 68. I think you're right. Yeah. So, 
obviously a very philosophical and weird movie. Um, we but need, we need another episode about we do, 2001. We, we will, we will, we will. <laughs> but this is just one example. There are plenty of others where, to me, it kind of evokes one a literal ascension, so kind of like a rocket going up or you know mm. something going up into space. Two, equating that idea of human ascension into space with some kind of progress, human evolution, moral evolution societal evolution you know imagining a future where humans exist in space and they're also like better (laughs) you know they've made it somehow and third i think part of the tentative quality of it comes from the fact that space is like kind of an unknown it's scary a little bit and where there's an unknown there will always be a little bit of fear i think so even though it's hopeful it's also acknowledging the fact that it is a mysterious future you hear all that in that little do 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 yeah all of that oh yeah wow do uh, you not agree I, it's not no it's not that i disagree <laughs> i i don't know that i hear all those things though. <laughs> okay <laughs> well i i the only one that i don't that i really don't hear is fearfulness in that like for me i don't hear fearfulness in part because of the well a I like space. I am not afraid of space. <laughs> um, and B, <laughs> I think the um, the specific musical vocabulary that that we were talking about, this idea of the fourth, the idea of the soft dynamics, like those are all things. I I, I wouldn't say that they're not tension inducing because they are mm-hmm. right, especially if we think about them in the context of traditional tonal expectation. Right, they do create a sense, a little bit of tension. But there's a difference between creating a little bit of tension and creating a sense of, of like, heightened awareness or fear or mm. something. Well, I'm not sure fear was really the right word. Oh. More like just a sense of the unknown. But even that, I, I you know, I mean, it's interesting because I don't, a sense of the unknown. But confidence, too. Yeah. Well, yeah, sure. Like it's the unknown of discovery rather than the unknown of like do i leave my little hole in the ground you know <laughs> yeah of course one thing that this makes me think of is the theme of deep space 9 hmm. because deep space 9 certainly also has some it's a different tune right but it also has kind of these fanfare elements but the thing that always strikes me with deep space 9 is that it's based on pedal points yeah so you've got this long opening that's grounded audibly on this one bass note Mm -hmm. and then there's the big swell and then it just goes to another bass note and the relationship between the first and the second is a dominant tonic relationship it's like it's fulfilling your expectations Mm -hmm. you know maybe you there's a there's a little bit of sleight of hand involved but it's like you you get to the second part of it and it's like ah we've arrived and there's still this pedal point grounding you through the entire second part pretty much of the theme song and you know it's always struck my little musician brain as making perfect sense because it's on a space station so you're not going places you're standing still and you're being held there 
you know, by this one note that gets sustained. But paddle points themselves are tension-inducing devices, or they can be, at least, right? You know, they don't have to. If the harmony above them agrees, then cool, cool. And if the harmony above them does not agree, less cool. And, you know, and, and Deep Space Nine kind of, that theme song plays a little bit. You get moments of agreement and moments of tension. But on the whole, it feels pretty pretty grounded. Yeah. Um, I absolutely agree with you there. I f- what strikes me about that theme, other than the constant pedal point, is it's a little bit more contrapuntal in a sense, than some of the other ones. First of all, you have this, like, massive sense of space that's created aurally. Because you have this extremely low pedal point, you also have these very, very high sustained strings throughout most of it. And then you also have, a lot of times in the the parts where the horns are playing the melody, they're playing, like, two lines at a time. And it's contrapuntal. also have counter melodies you have some bass lines that come in you have a violin uh counter melody which i think perfectly reflects another aspect of the show which is that instead of having this kind of forward motion where the ship is going out and kind of keeping on going out and going out and going out and meeting new people every single time it's reflecting this kind of simultaneous acting of different groups and different interests so you have you know the Bajoran political stuff that's happening you have the Federation and you have Cisco's whole emissary thing and you have Quark you have Quark you have all these different groups that are kind of playing out their own stories and sometimes interacting and sometimes not so yeah I mean and it's a it's a space station right where it's a space station that was built by Cardassians that's occupied by Bajorans who are being assisted by the Federation mm-hmm. and it's on the cusp of a wormhole mm-hmm. with untold species coming in from another quadrant of the galaxy who all find their way somehow to Deep Space Nine and, you know, need to sit down at the same table to eat their gah, right? Like, so it's <laughs> like, <laughs> somehow, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's nice to think that there's a parallel between the contrapuntal nature of the theme song and the contrapuntal nature of coexistence on the space station and on multiple levels it's not just species right you've got young people you've got older people you have conflict between people's domestic lives and their professional lives there's there's a lot of interweaving of conflicts and developments that permeate that show Mm. All in one place. All in one place. Uh, And actually, you know what's interesting? I mean, another thing about the theme song that kind of reflects the stationary nature of the space station is that it's a little bit slower. I mean, it's significantly slower. And the melody has significantly more held notes, so long notes. So it really is not so much about motion, about forward motion, except... Mm-hmm. In the fourth season, mm-hmm. they reorchestrated it to be a little bit more propulsive. Mm-hmm. And coincidentally, this comes right after the introduction of the Defiant. So they have more opportunity to actually go out on a ship and like explore out in the 
ha- have some speed to yeah. their to their um existence and i always love that the way that they made it propulsive was like by adding these like these like dun, 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 you know these yeah. like <laughs> it's very like it always feels like worker music like yes this is the music of industry where <laughs> this is this is a which like in the whole thing of the show is also interesting because it was a mining space station right so yeah. it is a, it was designed that way you know and now this makes me think of speaking of motion and going places you have voyager right where the whole premise of the show is going places or at least trying to go home and this makes me think about how in a few ways that theme song is it's not like the most overtly propulsive Mm -hmm. i'm not sure who wins that one exactly if it's original series next generation or enterprise or i think it has to be next generation which we totally skipped, but we can, well, we'll we come can back go back. I mean, I guess that's propulsive in the sense of it's literally, like, loud and energetic. Oh, but, yeah. Um, yes, okay. But, like, but Voyager is so... I mean, we were talking about exotic before, but Voyager is, like, actually, from, a like, a tonal perspective, the most exotic by far. I mean, I, if I remember right, I think that the main key is G-flat major, which is not a thing a sane person chooses right like that's a very that's <laughs> that's the kind of key that like when i'm teaching key signatures in music theory i'm like yeah this is one uh, don't worry about it it exists uh well, let's let's do something friendlier but then on top of that the relationship between the the main theme and then the sort of middle one right that affects a chromatic median relation so it actually goes to a more normal key in the middle but a more normal key that is not one you would anticipate in terms of its relation unlike deep space nine where the two the two are kind of very very traditionally related so voyager it's like it starts in a weird place it goes to a different place that is not one you would expect and then the melody itself and its harmonization internally involves more of these little things yeah so you go to this familiar place but then it has more of these kind of wonderful kind of chord progressions where you have da do do whoa right (laughs) yeah (laughs) so it's an interesting contrast with deep space nine that's so much about tonal stasis and creating interest from the internal interactions of lines as opposed to this kind of it's a more abstract thing i mean keys are abstract right but but a more a form of musical expansiveness that's that's like makes you so much more aware of not being in one place yeah that's great oh cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah and Speaking of this, like, not being in one place, after the middle section where it kind of has that, it it kind of has a similar melodic arc in that middle section to the original series where each phrase it climbs higher and higher. Yeah. But after it goes back to the the A theme, if you will, isn't it in a different key? I don't remember. I I think it goes back to the beginning. I think it's in a different key. A third key? Yeah. Oh, we need to check that. We can check it right now. Let's check it right now. We just 
analyze this whole thing and we figured out <laughs> that it doesn't truly go to a different key in the middle it just does such weird things it has such exotic chords if you will <laughs> that it sounds like a completely different tonal center right or we could say like it's not that it quite modulates but in invoking all of these other chords your your sense of being in one place is disturbed mm, absolutely and I mean, I guess there is something holding them together, which is that it is this one ship, it's this one crew. Mm -hmm. So even though the entire time, like the whole purpose of Voyager is that they're trying to go home, in a sense, they already are home. Ah, they're home. Ah. They were home all along. Their home is inside <laughs> you the whole time. <laughs> well... Yeah, but, but I mean, the overall form does this kind of have this shape of departure and return, which yeah. is not unique to the Voyager theme. I think, I mean, the Next Generation theme kind of does this too, although it more like oscillates between two different melodies, but Voyager has the biggest sense of that, where it's like, all right, we're in this one theme, we're going out to this other theme, we're coming back. Yeah, and... Actually, Next Generation also has some kind of uncommon harmonic relations. Yes, but can I talk about the Voyager fanfare real quick? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> like in the original series and the Next Generation, and to some extent in Deep Space Nine, Voyager has this kind of opening fanfare using similar intervals, except the one thing that stands out about the Voyager fanfare is that the other ones rise. da 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 so it's, it's rising, it's going out into space, going out to explore. But Voyager's goes down, it has downward motion. To me, it's because it's not that they are out there exploring for the sake of exploring, it's their already out there and they're trying to come back <laughs> but isn't that, isn't that that's this is one of my most favorite things about the theme song though because that first interval is down bum bum but then it goes <laughs> all the way up an octave yeah right but then you're right right da, 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 da. and it's only at the end the last one da, 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 why it tries to go up but then it comes back down again yeah to the end but meanwhile in the middle the whole middle is the opposite. Da, 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 yeah. da, 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 So it's, yeah, it's like it's, it does make you cognizant of the kind of classic musical tension between rising and falling, mm -hmm. you know. This is another one where, like, it actually, it does kind of, like, it is kind of a, a well-constructed melody in that sense. It balances the upward and downward impulses, mm -hmm. right? Like if you're going to go down by a large interval, bum, bum, counter that mm -hmm. with something that goes up. Yeah, cool. And then counter that with some stepwise motion going down, right? Like it's all, it, it follows the rules as well. Mm -hmm. It's transgressive harmonically, mm -hmm. not as much, not so much melodically. Yeah, true. Yeah, which makes sense because they're in strange space yeah the delta quadrant yeah they might know themselves but do they know where they are do they know their surroundings how will we find our way home how do we find the tonic